0: Eden. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Roadside, Roadside Horror Show. Show. This week we are in Massachusetts, mm. the state that I can never spell. Never,
1: ever. And I've been there so many times and right? I still cannot spell
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, fun fact about Massachusetts, my cat is named after a city in Massachusetts.
1: Salem. Salem, yep.
0: Well, actually he's named after the you know cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. The new one, not the original. The Chilling Adventures. Yes, the Chilling gotcha. Adventures of... Um, it's the, what is it, the Bay State, Yes, we say? it's the
1: Bay State.
0: Yes. I also have a list of weird laws in Massachusetts. All right, hit me. In Boston, duels can be carried out to death on Sunday as long as the governor is, pre- is present.
1: <laughs> I guess that's good to know.
0: It is illegal to take a lion to the movies.
1: Thank God. I know. They're so chatty.
0: They really are. At a wake, mourners may eat no more than three sandwiches. Wow. No gorillas are allowed in the back seat of cars.
1: I mean, they really should ride shotgun. That's that just gun.
0: like, that's a deal breaker for me. Deal breaker. My gorilla always rides in the back. <laughs> in Boston, it is illegal to bathe unless your doctor gives you a prescription. Wait. But it's also illegal not to bathe before going to bed.
1: What? Yeah. I'm so confused.
0: Goatees are illegal unless you obtain and pay for a license to wear your goatee in public.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just destroyed the hopes and dreams of so many hipster dudes
0: <laughs> it's illegal to scare a pigeon okay that's interesting maybe they should have that in new york too because that's all that people seem to do
1: to scare pigeons
0: uh christmas has been illegal in massachusetts since 1659 if you celebrate christmas you will be fined five shillings
1: that sounds very puritanical of that me.
0: really does well shillings it's illegal to play the fiddle in Boston.
1: What about the Boston Pops? Oh, sorry. Those are playing violins.
0: Yes. It's, it all depends on how you play it. It might be the same instrument, but depending on how you play it, it's a fiddle or it's a violin. <laughs> so they just don't want the devil to come like he did with Georgia, you know.
1: Ah, oh, so puritanical.
0: Right. And let's see. Roosters may not go into bakeries.
1: I guess you can have chicken and a biscuit in Massachusetts. I guess not. Chicken and a biscuit.
0: Defacing a milk carton is punishable by a $10 fine. It is illegal to give beer to hospital patients. Huh. And false teeth must be removed during sexual intercourse. Who's checking for that?
1: <laughs> that one person who doesn't remove their teeth.
0: I'm sorry. I hear that you are midcoitus. Let me um, check. Are your denture's in. Okay, they're out. Good. Good. Okay, good.
1: good. Uh, the only weird legal thing that I know about Massachusetts I learned from a ghost tour in Salem. Oh, nice. And apparently, to be a psychic in the city of Salem, you have to register with the city. Oh. And I was so intrigued by this that I asked our tour guide what exactly that is involved in getting registered as a psychic. And she explained that you basically go into the local like town hall slash courthouse and you demonstrate your psychic ability. Okay. So whether you read tea leaves or tarot cards, all that, you basically go in and there's like, a clerk...
0: Oh, they just that. want free services from you.
1: <laughs> I know. Can you imagine, like, the person whose job it is, like, to set up those appointments? You're like, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Two of Cups. Cool. Great. Can you please <laughs> sign here, initial here, <laughs> A boom, <bump> stamp?
0: <laughs> you gave me a reading that said I was going to die. Um, I don't, I don't think I can approve your I application can, today. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, Massachusetts.
0: Yeah, Massachusetts.
1: So. You have a delightful, or maybe not so delightful, true crime It's really story. not
0: that delightful. It's, um, this, it's depressing, very depressing.
1: Is this the one that you told me, like, fair warning
0: about? Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. just kind of like it's going to really, really hit hard for some people because uh, there's also suicide involved. So, really depressing.
1: Okay. okay.
0: But still interesting, guys. I promise you that it will be interesting. Uh, my story this week takes place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, or more specifically, Harvard University. Harvard was established in 1636, making it the oldest college in the U.S. It was named for a clergyman called John Harvard. I don't know why I just said called instead of named. I'm not in England. <laughs> <laughs> he was the school's first benefactor. It is also considered the creme de la creme of the Ivy League, although Brown is still my favorite Ivy League school, so suck at Harvard. Just kidding. We still love you. Now, Harvard may be known for its world-class education, beautiful campus, and also is the alma mater of politicians like the Obamas, Robert Kennedy, Al Gore, along with celebrities like Mira Sorvino, Tommy Lee Jones, Rashida Jones, no relation, (laughs) uh, Matt Damon, and Natalie Portman, and the number one douche nozzle, Mark Zuckerberg. And now that I've said that, we're probably banned from Facebook. The
1: zucks. (laughs)
0: Anyway, we're going to talk about something a little darker than all these famous names. This is the story of Sindu Tedesi and Trang Ho.
1: Trang Ho sounds familiar. I think I might know a little bit about this, but not enough to understand where the story is going. <laughs> so please continue.
0: First off, I'd like to say I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing her name wrong, but I don't know anyone from Ethiopia to ask, so I'm trusting the internet on this one. So, Sindu Tedesi was born in Ethiopia in 1975. This was during the Ethiopian Civil War, which went from 1974 to 1991 and resulted in approximately 400,000 to 579,000 violent deaths and 1 million deaths from famine by the end.
1: Mm.
0: So it's a lot of bodies. Definitely not a good time for the country.
1: Yeah, I remember um, when I was in elementary school, it was a Catholic school, mm-hmm. um, there was a bunch of kids who were refugees from Ethiopia who came to our school and attended for a few oh, years. Wow. Yeah, because it was just so terribly ravaged by the war and famine.
0: Yeah, it was really horrible. Um, Sanju's family was apparently well off, but this still didn't stop them from feeling the effects of this war. Her father had even been jailed for two years around the time uh, Sanju was seven. So that would be around 1982 or so.
1: Okay.
0: Um, I couldn't find much about her family. She seemed to be having a hard time making friends back in Ethiopia, and according to Wikipedia, was kind of ostracized from the community and even from her own family. This will come into play later in our story.
1: Any clue as to why, or is it just... It,
0: it just said that. I don't know. Um. Basically, I think she just had like a lot of like mental health issues. That weren't being addressed is what I'm getting pretty much. Basically to get out of this horrible situation that she was in, Saindu just began studying like crazy and she got accepted to something called the International Community School of Addis Ababa, 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 Mm Ababa, okay. And it's the capital, but I never knew how to pronounce it. So it's the capital of Ethiopia. So this is already a prestigious school. So all that studying really paid off for her, and she actually graduated as the valedictorian and was accepted to Harvard after that.
1: Pretty impressive. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Even though she didn't make many friends at school, her teachers uh, did seem to really like her when she was going to the, what did I call it, the uh, international community school? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, you know, her teachers liked her at least. So she had someone, kind of. Uh, now, this is when Sandhu started to struggle a little bit after she made her way to Harvard. Uh, she was studying biology and trying to keep up her grades to get into Harvard Medical School. But she only had a B average, which in my opinion is still damn good, but this is Harvard, so it wasn't good enough.
1: Yeah, but it's kind of crazy if you think about it. It's like somebody who's like in a foreign country,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like trying to not only like fit into a college and freshman year is hard enough, but also... You're just,
0: new to the country, yeah, you don't know anyone. Shop, yeah. yeah, you don't know anybody really tough. So she was also having a hard time adjusting socially and really didn't have any friends. Uh, She did have some family in the area, but she didn't really talk to them. Uh, This made her very, very lonely and depressed. She was getting some help from the school's mental health counseling and such, but it just wasn't enough and left her feeling very, very alone. At one point, she was even so desperate for friends that she ended up just picking random names from the phone book and sending these people letters asking to be their friends.
1: Mm, That's so sad.
0: Yeah, she did this with, like, dozens of people and only got, like, one reply the entire time. Just really sad. Like, it was, like, a form letter that she sent out, basically just changing the name and then sending it to, like, all these people.
1: And this is, like, what, like, the the mid-90s? Mid-90s. Yeah, so it's not quite... Actually,
0: it, it's freshman year, so it'd probably be earlier 90s. Early 90s, yes. Yeah, so yeah. It's
1: before, you know, there might have been, like, AOLs around. And there's chat rooms, but, but not, not the social media that you no, have today. Like you no, like, no one had the
0: internet in the early 90s. Because exactly. we didn't get the internet until, well, until probably the, yeah, late 90s. Like, I want to say, like, 99 is when we got the internet, finally. So. Oh, I
1: had AOL and Prodigy.
0: We had CompuServe.
1: <gasps> CompuServe.
0: Which classic. was the same company as AOL.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so she only got one reply. Mm -hmm. She talked to this woman for a while, but the woman was kind of put off by just how weird the letters that she was sending were. I don't know what was in them, but she also sent some, like, voice recordings on tape, and it just wasn't a normal situation, and the woman stopped talking to her after that, which is really sad. Again, um, there was another woman whom she had contacted who knew people at the school, and she was really put off by the letter that she received this person actually sent the letter to Harvard for review. So at the end of her freshman year, her roommate, who's like the only person that she really talks to, it seems, decides that she wants to room with someone else, which, <laughs> although not stated, I'm sure was a huge blow. Yeah. And for the next two years, she roomed with a different girl named Trang Ho. Okay. Trang was a very popular girl in school. She got excellent grades, and everyone really seemed to love her. Trang was a refugee from Vietnam who fled the country with her father and sister at a young age, but was forced to leave behind her mother and other sister. Okay. Um, so, I mean, there is, like, a similarity between the two then, because Sandu had to deal with all she had to deal with in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Trang Ho had to escape from Vietnam with all those problems as well. Yeah,
1: they both kind of have that experience of being, you know, children whose lives are heavily impacted by war absolutely. and strife, so.
0: So I mean like, I didn't say this, but I'm assuming that that kind of was at least common ground for them to start bonding over Yeah, a for sure. Bit. That
1: makes a lot of sense.
0: Trang also attended uh, Boston High School. Okay. Uh, and she was the valedictorian when she graduated too.
1: Okay, so like another very motivated yeah, young woman who got things on the right track.
0: Yeah. She was very smart, which I guess is a duh thing to say, (laughs) um, since she was a valedictorian and got accepted to the top school in the country. But, you know, she worked around 18 hours a week to support her family, as well as working as a tutor for the school. uh, And she helped with research at the school as well. So she's doing a lot. She also translated for her mother once her mother and other sister came to America. And she would go home on the weekends to see them. They lived in Medford, which isn't too far away. She was also responsible for helping her sister with homework and things like that. So okay. she really took an active role in her family and really just did a whole hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. She was a biology major as well at Harvard and had plans of becoming a pediatrician. Well, seeing as Seinju was very lonely, like I had mentioned before, she became kind of unhealthily obsessed with trying. I imagine like, kind of like Fern Mayo's obsession with Liz Perr and jawbreaker times like a hundred. Yeah. yeah, like, bad. Not much was really stated about the relationship, but I would assume it was the same as the one with Sandu's pen pal that probably was pretty one sided and all came to a head toward the end of their junior year.
1: And also kind of like just based on what you said about Trang, it sounds like she, she you know was an outgoing person, was very involved with mm-hmm. campus life and with her family. It sounds the kind of person who would, like, no matter how weird it would get, she would still be sort of like, oh, okay, and, like, nice, and sort of
0: trying to be a
1: good person in the situation, even though she might have been a little, like, freaked out by the intensity of Sandu's attention.
0: Exactly. So, like I said, she had become kind of obsessed with Trang, and was just very needy and clingy, so Trang started to slowly distance herself from Sandu, which made Sandu start to get a bit angry with her. In what I'm sure kind of felt like deja vu, Trang Ho tells her one day that she plans to live with other people for their senior year. Okay. And this does not go over so well. After this, the two just stop talking altogether.
1: And they're still living together?
0: Yeah. Ugh. Up until the end of the year. She did end up writing a letter to Trang saying, quote, I thought we were going to do stuff together. You'll always have a family to go to and I'm going to have no one.
1: So sad.
0: Yeah. Really depressing. It just leaves her feeling so alone and like she doesn't have anyone in the world to talk to. She's trying to make things work with the student health clinic, you know, getting, you know, mental health help from them. But it just, it's not enough. Yeah, it's not what she needs. She needs more than they can give her. Uh, She ends up sending a picture of herself then to the student newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, with a note saying, Keep this picture. There will soon be a very juicy story involving this woman. Oh, so, yeah, red flag, not good. Two weeks before the events that were about to unfold, she goes and buys two hunting knives and a rope. Again, oh. a red flag. Yeah, two hunting knives and a rope. <sighs> On May 28th, 1995, this is the end of their junior year, she ends up going to class and taking one of her finals. Uh, there were two others scheduled, but she had medical exemptions for them. So she then goes to have lunch with a fellow student. He was also from Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she does this before going back to the dorms. It was kind of like her goodbye to him, he later would say, after knowing what was about to go down. Um, I don't know exactly what time this happened because there wasn't as much information as I usually would like. So I don't have a proper timeline. But something probably transpired between the roommates, and Saindu ends up taking one of the knives that she had purchased, and she stabs her roommate, Trang Ho, 45 times in her face, neck, chest, arms, and legs and hands.
1: Oh my god.
0: Yeah. So lots of anger, lots of rage. Uh, this ultimately leads to Trang's death, obviously. Mm-hmm. One of Trang's friends, named Tao Win was also present, and Saindu ended up attacking her as well. Oh, my God. Yeah, Tao lived but was severely injured.
1: That's so great. I I did not expect that there would be anybody else there.
0: No, like, she was there, and she, I guess, attacked her as well. Sandy then goes into the bathroom and takes the rope she had purchased and proceeds to hang herself there. Mm. It was just an incredible tragedy, which just destroyed both families. Most people think it was Trang saying that she was uh, going to room with another, you know, different group of girls, that drove her over the edge in the end, but the Jesse's think a little differently. Sandu's family have said that she was the one who wanted the room change, and says that she wanted it because Trang was just never there. She was always somewhere else, either with her family or, you know, doing stuff, so she didn't really have anyone. So who knows the truth? I tend to believe that probably it was because there's more documented proof of Trang saying that she wants the room change. There's a lot of people who blamed the school for what happened, saying that the school was negligent and didn't do enough to prevent this. Trangho's family actually ended up suing the school, but I couldn't find the outcome of the lawsuit, so I don't know if they won or not.
1: Or it might have been settled out of court or something like that. Could have been,
0: yeah. There's also a book written by a 1987 graduate of Harvard named Melanie Thernstrom in 1997 called Halfway Heaven, Diary of a Harvard Murder. She also taught creative writing at Harvard, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, she goes on in the book to say that Harvard failed both these students by not intervening despite overwhelming evidence that something was wrong with signed to Melanie actually went to Tedesi's home in Ethiopia and read her diaries, which I'm sure really sheds a lot more light on her mental state as well as her personal life. Uh, there is a scholarship named after Trang Ho, which was almost uh, named for both students, but later they decided against putting Saindu's name in there.
1: I think that's why Trang Ho sounds familiar to me. I Probably. I of that scholarship.
0: Yeah, it's called the Trang Ho Public Service Fellowship, and it funds students doing charitable works during the summer of their junior years. Okay. Uh, Trang was buried in Cambridge, while Saindu was buried in Addis... How did you say it was?
1: Addis Ababa. Oh, I can't do
0: it. No, you can't Ababa. do it. Yeah, Ababa. Addis, Ababa. Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. So yeah, that's pretty much... All I have, I had to do a shorter one this week. That's just... (laughs) But it was, yeah. It was tough to get through for me, honestly, like those notes.
1: There's nothing malicious per se on the face of it. It's just somebody who's very deeply mentally... Unstable. Unstable and hurting.
0: And had a shitty life.
1: Yeah, and it makes it a lot... I mean, it's very easy to like dislike somebody who is a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. But when someone's just unwell, it makes it much harder to kind of... Figure out where where the morals lie.
0: Exactly. This is why I wanted to cover the story, too, because it is different from what we normally do. It represents more of a gray area mm-hmm. uh, and shows that, you know, sometimes these people that kill other people are not complete monsters and not completely evil. There's things that led up to it. Not that I'm excusing what they're doing by any means, mm-hmm. but, like, you never know what's going on in another person's life, and it's important to get the help that you need and for someone to notice that someone else needs that help, you know, things like that. So yeah. people don't snap like this. These were two girls who had bright futures. They were brilliant girls. Mm-hmm. And they could have done so much of their lives. And instead, both of their lives were ended abruptly. They only lived to be, what, 19, 20?
1: Yeah.
0: Or, yeah, 20, I guess, 21, maybe.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that the families are, both the families are like, Harvard, you failed our daughters. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I always find that interesting because you hear it a lot anytime there's any sort of incident on the campus of, of a university or a college. It's, it's always
0: why didn't the school do something.
1: Right. And it, it kind of always makes me think about how much you are in a weird place as a college student. You're not quite fully an adult. No. You're.
0: It's your first taste of freedom.
1: Yeah, and you're, you're, you're still a kid, and you need that additional guidance. And I don't think a lot of people, while there are things like health services on, on campus, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's as clear because you're still you're still a kid and you're yeah. not quite sure how to handle situations. Before that, like
0: your mom and dad probably made all your doctor's appointments and yeah, everything else. Exactly. I don't mind it. And to this day, I still wish they did because I hate talking on the phone to the doctor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very, yeah, uh, it's interesting. I don't know if there's a right answer how much you can do as a school. Other yeah. Than, you know.
0: I, mean, that, I that feel like is they, have, they definitely
1: have some responsibility because it's like, if you, if you take these kids' money, yeah, then you should be able to take care of these kids.
0: That's true. And, I mean, they have people, like, in the dorms where they lived. They had, you know, like, probably an RA right on mm-hmm. their, you know, on their floor somewhere. Uh, they had, you know, someone who was, like, looking after that house, that particular house. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it was kind of brought to their attention. The second they received a letter with her picture saying... Those, keep this picture. There's going to be a juicy story. Yeah, someone should have reported that. You have the yeah. picture. You'll know who the student is. Someone's got to know her. You know. Mhm.
1: Mhm.
0: So they probably could have done more. It's and not. And
1: presumably, if they would have, if the at the staff of like the crimson would have been able to go to the administration, presumably the administration would have been aware of that other letter that her pen That's pal true. Yeah. Showed them, and they could have intervened. But it's like how it's very difficult. It's like, what do you do? You say, okay, you need to, you know we're effective immediately, we're, mo- we're changing your housing, and we're yeah. going to have you do therapy, but it's kind of how far is overstepping.
0: Exactly, yeah. I mean, they're not the parents, mm-hmm. and they are adults, so they can live their own lives, but, I mean, they probably should have really seen a lot of these red flags pop up, and, you know, tried to reach out at least and help. Yeah. The weird thing is, I did see when I was doing my research that Saindu did have some friends at least uh, because I was like looking you know through different things like about like after they died Mm -hmm. and I mean of course there was tons of stuff about Trang Ho Mm -hmm. but very little about Saindu Tadessi but there were people that said like that she was just the type of person that like you know she would truly listen to you and she would try to make things better for you Trang or Um, uh, Saindu which I think is cool. And that's normally how people who are really depressed are, unfortunately. They always try to help other people.
1: Mm-hmm. And I also think people uh, who, who tend to be very em- empathetic, mm-hmm. like naturally sensitive people, are more susceptible to things like depression Absolutely. and, and mental, um, mental stress. So they're the people you have to take care of.
0: I also say the same thing about creative people. Like, you know, anyone who's like a singer-songwriter or, you know, anyone who writes or draws or anything like that. Normally, like, you don't create out of a happy place normally. You create to get something out of yourself. You create to survive.
1: Fair. I would also wager to say that people who tend to be creative are also people who tend to be more observant or more sensitive as well. That's true. Because that's how you can... I mean, think about a writer, for example. If you're creating a character on the page, you need to at least have some understanding of how people work and habits of other people, true. those yeah. little things you notice. You need to
0: watch. And, yeah. yeah, and
1: I think it's a very similar thing, but...
0: yeah. Because I know, like, when I write, like, if I write lyrics to a song, I'm not getting my inspiration from, I had a good day. When I have a good day, I don't need to write. I don't need to do anything. When I have a bad day, when something's bothering me, when I'm depressed, that's when I need to write it down on paper and get it out of me. You need to really just rip it out of yourself, kind of, you know? Yeah. But um, my sources for this week, before I forget to do that, (laughs) were Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Find a Grave, The New Yorker... Newsweek and thecrimson.com, which is the, you know, Harvard. Online newspaper.
1: Cool. All right. Well, I definitely need some comfort snacks.
0: Yes. So this was a very sad one. I'm sorry, guys. But I hope that you liked it because, I mean, it was very interesting. It was just tough as well.
1: (laughs) All right. We're going to scrounge up some comforting road snacks and we'll be right back after a short break.
0: All right, guys. And we are back. Nicole has a fun story for us.
1: I mean, I wouldn't call it fun. Okay. It's It's, uh, interesting.
0: Terrifying? Sort of. Okay.
1: So uh, I do want to thank my lovely wife for this idea. Uh, She's from Massachusetts, and I was looking for stories that didn't involve, you know, the usual things. Like I didn't want to talk about the Salem Witch Trials or anything like that, or Lizzie Borden.
0: I know I was like trying to avoid Lizzie Borden too. I'm like, I can do Lizzie Borden nah, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, it's such well,
1: a good story, but it's like so well documented and
0: My original story that I was going to do this week was um it happened in the Bridgewater Triangle. It was the Fall River Cult oh, Killings. Yes.
1: Did you check out that podcast I was telling you about? Uh... which one? It's a podcast devoted to all the weird, eerie stories that happen in the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh. It's really good. Okay. I
0: really want to check that out yeah, then. Yeah, it's delightful. Oh, and I found um, a story that I might cover when we do Canada at some point. Oh. Uh, there's this new Netflix, I think it is, show called Don't Fuck With Cats or something.
1: I just saw that today. Yeah. And I was like, I like cats. What's this
0: about? I started watching it while I was doing my notes. And it's, like, really crazy. Like, this guy... Is just like this anonymous like, you know, internet user that puts this YouTube video up where he like puts it this is horrible. So if you're an animal lover, this is gonna hurt, sorry. But he like a video of him like putting these two kittens
1: I don't nope, nope. Into nope. A, no, no, I can't. It was
0: horrible. Nope. It was horrible. And like there's several videos of him like killing animals and it's not Mm-mm. good. Like they almost show it on the on the thing too, but then they don't Mm-mm. and like the whole time watching I'm like, no, no, don't show me uh. As you
1: pet your kitten, like
0: no. <laughs> I know. Because, yeah, I thought about Salem in those moments, and I got so sad.
1: Well, my, my story is not that dark. I Good. I mean, it had there's a lot of deaths in it, but it's not, like, you know, torture.
0: Lighten the mood with some deaths. Woohoo!
1: All right. So, our stop today is in North Adams, Massachusetts. North Adams is in Berkshire County, which is also where my wife is from. And Berkshire County covers the western edge of Massachusetts, and it's named after the Berkshire Hills, which is the southern extension of the Green Mountains. So the Green Mountains run through Vermont, and then they slip into western Massachusetts, kind of along the Massachusetts-New York border. Okay. Now, North Adams is home to around 13,000 people, and it's best known today as the home of the largest contemporary art museum in the United States, the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. You may have heard of it. It's called mass mocha. Okay. More like colloquially in conversation. The only
0: time that I remember mocha being used was the L word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were just talking about the L word on the brick, so we did. Fresh in your mind. So, since Mass Mocha's opening in 1999, North Adams has transformed into kind of a tourist hotspot. There's lots of art galleries, shops, restaurants, and there's a thriving music scene.
0: And this is where Ashley's from, right?
1: Um, she's from a, a little bit further south in the Berkshires. Okay. North Adams is kind of... It's closer to the Vermont border than okay. where she's from. And... Um, It's close to a lot of the state parks, actually, in the Berkshires. Okay. So it's like, there's like Mount Greylock State Park and a couple other uh, state parks that surround North Adams. Sounds beautiful, right? Yeah. Uh, However, it's also the entry point to a place called the Bloody Pit.
0: Oh, great. You know what? I think I, when doing research, I came across the Bloody Pit, but I didn't look at it at all, so I don't know anything about it.
1: So the Bloody Pit is the local nickname for the Hoosick Tunnel. Okay. So tell you a little bit about North Adams and why they built this tunnel there in the first place. Originally, it's a farming community that was named after the founding father, Samuel Adams. You know, the beer guy. The
0: beer the beer dude. Mm-hmm. The beer dude. I like his seasonals.
1: They are good. They are good. Uh, North Adams was an industrial manufacturing hub in the early 19th century. So by the 1840s, it was home to a lot of manufacturing in the western part of Massachusetts home to several large companies, including the textile manufacturer, Arnold Oliver and
0: Company. Why is everything textiles?
1: That's what Massachusetts and New England was really good at because they had like the... So it's interesting, right? So part of the economic struggle in the Civil War was that we grew all the raw materials for textiles down south, like cotton, things like that. But they didn't process it down there. All of it got sent north where they had all these factories, textile factories, where they would actually manufacture it and... That's why the North ended up having more money because there's more money in producing a product than yeah. there is in producing like a like a Something manufactured to make the
0: product. Yeah, yeah, a
1: manufactured product versus an agricultural product. Very true. But actually, some of it's Civil War related the uniforms that the Union Army wore were actually manufactured in North Adams.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So now I know stuff about their uniforms too. Mm-hmm. The only uniform information that I had before this was World War II Nazi uniforms being designed by. Um, Hugo Boss.
1: Hugo, That's right, Hugo
0: Boss. I mean, they were, as horrible as this is to say, they were nice uniforms, at least.
1: I'll tell you what. I just finished watching Man in the High Castle, and there are moments where I'm like, those are irritatingly well-designed, snappy, impressive uniforms. Yes. Like, they, they were definitely, like, designed with an intent to be, like, impressive. And exactly. It irritates me that the Nazis beat us to it.
0: Oh, I know, right?
1: Anyway, I digress. <laughs> So in North Adams, there is a bunch of manufacturing, as we already said. One of the reasons that so many of these factories ended up setting setting up shop in North Adams was its proximity to water power. North Adams is situated at the confluence of two branches of the Hoosic River. Now, the name Husick, which is also shared by the tunnel we're going to talk about a little later, is an Algonquin word that means Mm. the stony place or the rocky place. Yeah. It might be because the bottom of the Hoosick River is very stony, or it could be that the local soils have a lot of rocks in them. So the name Hoosick is also used to describe the mountain range in the Berkshire hills that surround North Adams.
0: And that part I knew. And I'm trying to think of what state it was um, that I also mentioned, the Housatonic River.
1: Housatonic River is a river that runs through, actually, western Massachusetts, down into Connecticut. Connecticut. So mm-hmm. then it
0: was, um, yeah, it was Hella Crafts then.
1: Yeah, I think, because I think I remember you saying, who's a tonic? Who's a tonic, and, yeah. You know, it always sticks out because, like, I remember when I first went to Massachusetts with my wife, I was like, how do you say how that?" How do you
0: say this word? <laughs> yep. Uh,
1: it's also what H.P. Uh, Lovecraft used to make the, was it the Miskatonic University and the Miskatonic oh, River from the stories based off I the Housatonic. I can Husatonic. see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Learn something new every day.
1: Yep, I try, I
0: try. Who said this podcast wasn't <laughs> educational?
1: <laughs> so, now the Housatonic River actually is a tributary of the Hudson, so it runs all the way to the port of New York City. And as early as 1819, the local industry owners in North Adams started proposing ideas on how to build, like, a canal to open up shipping lanes from western Massachusetts to both Boston in the east and New York City in the south. Uh, Unfortunately, these canal projects never really progressed. I don't really know why I couldn't find any exact details. It could be because the river was so damn rocky. Or it could be that there was just some technical challenges that the engineering know-how of the day couldn't resolve. So, fast forward a little bit. By the 1840s, the idea of connecting western Massachusetts to Boston and New York City was resurrected again when the Troy and Greenfeld Railroad was chartered. Now, the men behind the Troy and Greenfeld Railroad decided that they should build a tunnel through the Hoosick Range, to better facilitate transportation between various parts of New England and New York City. The tunnel would connect the sawmills in Vermont, that already linked up to rail lines that led to Boston, okay. to North Adams, which would then connect to railroad lines that went to tour New York, and those eventually led to New York City.
0: So these are like shipping trains, so not like
1: yeah, they're big, like, yeah, trains. Yeah, they're like freight trains. There was yeah. some pa- passenger rails, but the primary focus of these lines was freight.
0: I love how big of a deal like all the railroads were like in the beginning, Mm -hmm. where it was like this is the best way to get around, and now it's like it takes forever.
1: (laughs) We missed out on the great the great rail transition.
0: I I always did want to like actually like jump onto like you know some sort of like train carrying cargo like like the hobos and like the the, hobo style. Yeah, (laughs) I just want to do that.
1: Incredibly dangerous. I know.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it, listeners. But I'm still probably going to do it at some time. I can't help myself.
1: Maybe. And I'm
0: also going to have, what's the word for it? The little stick with the...
1: The hobo sex thing? Yeah. I don't know what the word is. I There's just a, a word for sex. it.
0: I don't remember what it is, though.
1: Hobo bundle? That sounds Keep like telling some kind of... your story
0: and I'll interrupt you when I when I Google it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where was I? Oh, thus began the 24-year, $21 million project to build the Hoosic Tunnel. The project was nicknamed The Great Boar by critics. What's
0: the hobo stick called is the first thing that comes up. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called a bindle. A bindle. And now I remember that now that it says it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Isn't a bindle also like the thing you wear, like the German dress? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. So you're gonna grab your bindle and hop on a freight train one day. I will. Just for shits and giggles.
0: Exactly, it'll be fun. I don't know where it's gonna take me, so you might need to come give me a ride back. <laughs> it's going to take you
1: to like someplace boring, like Newark.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's not boring. That's scary.
1: <sighs> anyway, who's tunnel? So the project was called the Great Bore by critics because it was very expensive and difficult. And the project was pretty ambitious, to say the least. It required the removal of upwards of two million tons of rock. So that the 4.75 mile tunnel could run through the mountain at a depth of up to 2,400
0: feet below the mountain tops. So they had to bore holes into the tunnel mm-hmm. into the rocks. That's that's why it's boring. It's boring in the great bore,
1: B O R E, not B A O R. Yeah. So the Hoozick Tunnel Project also ended up being field testing for several new engineering methods, and because of that, it was fraught with. Lots of accidents and setbacks, and around 200 people lost their lives during the 24 years it took to build the tunnel.
0: Okay, that's not good.
1: No. And never
0: leads to hauntings?
1: Never, ever. The overall plan to complete the tunnel is kind of interesting, and I found it fascinating at the the engineering problem solving. So they decided that what they were going to do was drill entryways from the eastern and western side of the mountain and meet in the middle. And to facilitate meeting in the middle, they would drill shafts from the different grade points in the mountain range down to the depth that would align the tunnels. So that way they could basically dig down and dig out to meet one of the entries, dig down into the center and meet one of the other shafts. So it kind of cut down like it wouldn't be a straight dig through. Gotcha. You could have crews working at different sections of the tunnel simultaneously.
0: Okay, not a bad idea.
1: Yeah, interesting. And the truly impressive thing is that they used constant surveying across the mountaintop, so that the engineering team could keep aligning everything. And they end up eventually building these alignment towers that you can actually still see today, uh, north of North Adams, or east of North Adams. East.
0: In a direction from. In a direction from North Adams.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they were kind of used to cite the surveying work. And when they finally did link up the eastern and western sides of the Hoosic Tunnel, they were only nine sixteenth of an inch out of alignment. Oh. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's not... Crazy for the 19th yeah. century. Crazy for today, even. They first began the entry tunnels. The team bought a $25,000 machine called Wilson's Patented Stone Cutting Machine.
0: Did you look up how much that would be today? No. Oh. Well.
1: I would imagine if it was like twenty-five k back in like... Eighteen, like fifty one. Oh god, it's gotta be yeah, big bucks like, now. Yeah, I would say probably, you know, maybe half a million dollars. Yeah,
0: or more.
1: It. So, this patented stone cutting machine was supposed to make the, like, cutting through the majority of the rock super easy. It would let blast crews come in and blast away the remaining rock to clear a path to the tunnel. The engineers were like, you know, this machine's gonna kick ass, and we can probably get this whole job done in a little over four years. They calculated out something like 1,500 working days.
0: I'm assuming that this does not happen, but for that amount of money, it better <laughs> freaking work. So on March 16th,
1: 1852, the crew starts up the machine. Everything goes swimmingly for about 12 feet, oh, great. where the engine just ceases up and stops moving. Oh. And the crew can't get it out. So they start digging by hand, and eventually oh, they're like, no. you know what? Let's just start the ho- the tunnel hole over on this side. Let's just move it. Like, oh my
0: god! Kind of like
1: when you accidentally like are trying to hang a picture and you don't hit a stud, and you just kind of be like, Well, just I'll the just we'll move cover off.
0: this up. <laughs> yeah, I'll just move over
1: a couple inches. <gasps> yep. That's basically what they did. <laughs> so a new lead engineer took over the tunnel project after this, and the workers started using a star drill, which is this sort of chisel-like drill mm-hmm. with like a like a star or cross arrangement at yeah. the front for cutting. And they would take this drill, and they would hammer it in with a 20-pound double-headed jackhammer. Ooh. Then two guys would basically twist it by hand. And then once the drill was about two feet into the rock, they would pull it out, and a blasting crew would come in and fill the holes that the drill left behind with black powder, and then they would ignite the black powder and blast the rock away, and then start the whole drilling process over and over again.
0: All right. This isn't going to take forever.
1: Yeah. It's slow, grueling, and super dangerous work. And it only got more dangerous as the years progressed and they started using some more innovative drill technology. In the 1860s, the first pneumatic or air powered drills were introduced, and blasting teams started using a recently invented, I guess, what do you call it, pyrotechnic?
0: Yeah, I guess, yeah.
1: Nitroglycerin.
0: Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I love some. Someone, when I was at karaoke one time, asked me what is glycerin because I sang the song "Glycerin" by Bush, glycerin. and I was like, uh, "Something that's in just about everything, <laughs> from explosives to fucking toothpaste and, and hair gel. Like, yep, it's in everything."
1: The fun thing about the use of nitroglycerin is that they were also using a brand new type of blasting cap. Ooh, it was an electric blasting cap, and we all know how electric early electricity
0: uh, was. Yeah,
1: a uh, death trap. So. Now you have these guys using these air-powered tools with this, like, highly volatile explosive. And it's one of the first times that any of these tools were used in the U.S. So, of course, there were lots of accidents. And these accidents were what led to some of the first experiences of hauntings in the tunnel. So, one story in particular that kept coming up in my research was one from March of 1865. That's when three workers, Ned Brinkman, Billy Nash, and Ringo Kelly... Also, I've never seen Ringo, Ringo. except for Ringo Starr. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, oh, Ringo Kelly, cool. They were working as a blast team in the tunnel. So they plant their nitroglycerin charges, and they run towards the safety of the bunker that they built in the tunnel, per protocol as one. Usually Mm -hmm. does when they're handling this. However, something went wrong, nobody quite knows, and Ringo Kelly ends up triggering the charge early, and it buries Brinkman and Nash under a ton of rock.
0: Oh my god, damn it, Ringo. Next time we're just going to get, like, John or Paul or George to do it.
1: Exactly. So, after the incident, Ringo Kelly disappears. Obviously, this guy felt terrible about killing his co-workers and kind of goes off the rails. No one. I would
0: assume you would feel kind of guilty about that if you have a soul.
1: So, he disappears. Nobody sees him for about a year.
0: That's why you never heard of him. (laughs) (laughs) Get
1: replaced. Um, About a year after the incident, almost on the anniversary, in fact... They find his body about two miles inside the tunnel, and it's basically the exact spot where Brinkman and Nash had died. Oh, shit. Yep. When they found Kelly, he had been strangled to death. His death was estimated to have occurred sometime between midnight and 3.30 a.m., but the subsequent investigation didn't turn up any suspects, and his murder was never solved.
0: See, yeah, like, the second you mentioned that, I was gonna be like, this is someone looking for revenge of some sort. He's definitely murdered.
1: Yep. Especially
0: and, if he was found right in the same spot.
1: Yep, it's very, very ominous that he was found in that same spot. Now they never found a killer, but that didn't stop the rumors among the workmen who said that it was the angry ghosts of Brinkman and Nash who exacted revenge on Kelly and ended up strangling him to death. The never ghostly, know. ghostly hands. Scared of this and like freaked out because it's like the death place in the tunnel. Now the workers are really weary about going to this part of the tunnel, and some of them just refuse to enter that part of the tunnel. Uh, those who did venture inside said that that part of the tunnel was particularly dark and dank, and there's always this continuous drip of moisture on the ceilings and walls.
0: Oh.
1: They also reported hearing faint sounds of men groaning in that portion of the tunnel.
0: Well, you know, sometimes you have to have your orgies in a dark tunnel.
1: <laughs> Man. You're my
0: love. all male orgies. In the moist tunnel. <laughs> oh. 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 I don't even know. Like, I just thought the moist tunnel could be the name of the episode, but oh, <laughs> it's just so vulgar. <laughs> moist, moist men in a tunnel. <sighs> oh, thanks for that.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. So that's a pretty horrific incident from the building of the Husik Tunnel, but by far the deadliest portion of the Hoosig Tunnel was the central shaft. Oh,
0: talking about moist tunnels and central shafts. <laughs> oh, did I tell you about that with the, um, the remake of Resident Evil? No. There's one part where you have to do like this thing with like this elevator and, you know, you need like your cylinder and you need the shaft. And it's so funny because it's like, you know, it asks you like if you want to take an object before you grab it. So it's like, would you like to take the shaft? And I'm just (laughs) like, oh, God. Such a commitment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the central shaft was the halfway point between the tunnel entrances It was dug from the very top of the Hoosick Range, and its final depth was a little bit over 1,000 feet underneath the mountain. Okay. So, sorry,
0: I'm still thinking about shafts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So progress uh, that was made in the central shaft along the top of the mountain meant that the proximity ran it a little bit closer than intended to the Hoosic River. Uh So the deeper they dug the more quickly the shaft filled with water. So they had to pause work and install these pumps that would take the water out and then allow the crews to continue digging. And this happened about halfway down the 1,000 feet. Um,
0: That's one leaky shaft.
1: Yeah, one leaky shaft. Shaft, it leaks. (laughs) Um, Bad mother, shut your mouth. Bad mother, plug that (laughs) hole. Pumps. So... The workers are basically like going down this, like at this point, 500-600-foot shaft, and it's water coming in. The pumps are working, and they didn't really have a lot of safety per- precautions in place in the first place. They're okay. basically like either shimming down like a ladder or a rope system, and there's a ca- Then they built a hoist house so they could lower the men and equipment down the hole.
0: I would try saying that five times fast. Hoist
1: house. <laughs> <laughs> so Inevitably, this, like, precarious central shaft led to a couple deaths. So there's a story about one man who was killed when a sharpened rock drill that was being, ro- like, lowered into the shaft rolled off the hoist and just fell several hundred feet onto his work crew. And these guys, none of these guys were having any kind of protection. There's no kind of scaffolding above them. And it ends up impaling him through his torso lengthwise. Ooh. Yeah. Then another worker ends up just stumbling and falling down hundreds of feet to his death down the central shaft. And then these happen pretty regularly, these deaths.
0: Well, that's great. This thing is like a death trap.
1: It is a death trap. Two, almost 200 people died there. Now, I'm getting to the part where it's a little, little tragic and very upsetting. Great. If you're we claustrophobic. We haven't
0: had enough of that tonight. <laughs> oh, I am claustrophobic. Yeah.
1: This one, particularly, I was like, oh, this makes me so uncomfortable. But the deadliest accident happened in the central shaft on October 17th 1869 it also involves the hoist house oh, hoist house so the hoist house that was built above the central shaft the was moist hoist house the moist hoist house was also, oh my God say that three times <laughs> <laughs> so it was illuminated by this light called a gas gasometer lamp which I've never heard of and I had to look it up and gasometer, it's basically
0: gasometer a
1: gasometer gasometer that sounds cool gasometer but it's a lamp that basically uses uh, naphtha as fuel. Naphtha is like a
0: it uses nambla as fuel. Nambla,
1: <laughs> uh, naphtha. Naphtha is like this, like very fumy, like oil-based fuel. It's very volatile. It's not the best thing to use. That's why we stopped using it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't. I never heard of it before.
1: With this gasometer lamp, it started to leak naphtha, and the fumes started to leak into the shaft. Now, the fumes are also extremely volatile. You just cannot get over the I shaft. Can't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also have had no sleep, so. <laughs> <laughs> so.
1: Everything's funny. I get it, I get it. So, these naphtha fumes leak into the shaft and they encounter a candle and explode. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It destroys the hoist house and sets the Not hoist. The hoist house? The hoist house is just gone.
0: The hoist house is no longer moist.
1: No, and now it's a fiery, fiery mess.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> The um, shaft is on fire. The
1: sh- well, the hoist is on fire. The shaft can't burn. The shaft's
0: rocks. Okay, good. Because, you know, if, if you have a burning shaft, you should probably That's see a see doctor. doctor.
1: Yeah. yeah. So the hoist catches fire, and then the fire ends up cutting through the, the, the mechanics holding the hoist up, and it plummets into the shaft, along with additional flaming debris from the hoist house and sharpened tools that were on the hoist.
0: Oh, my God.
1: It collapses the shaft and destroys the pumping equipment on its way down. Oof. So the the four men that were working at the top of the shaft were lucky enough to escape. However, there are 13 more workers who were trapped in debris as the shaft began to fill with water and
0: noxious fumes. You're purposely saying shaft a lot now, aren't you?
1: (laughs) No, you can see in my notes. It's everywhere right now. So a couple hours later, they attempt a rescue mission. They lower a worker on a rope down to look for survivors. He's quickly overcome by fumes. and They pull him back up and he gasps, no hope. And they just give up on rescue.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: Well, I mean, there was nothing they could do. I guess, it was like all but... the like, you couldn't breathe. There was noxious fumes filling mm-hmm. it. True. So the next day, the shaft is pretty much. F-
0: hey, I was married to someone that produced noxious fumes. Okay, <laughs> and now I have a cat that produces noxious fumes. But I still try.
1: But you weren't trapped in a shaft.
0: I was not trapped in a shaft.
1: The next day, the shaft is pretty much filled with water. Great. And that's when the bodies start bobbing up.
0: Oh no! Yeah. Oh, it's like the scene in uh, Poltergeist when the pool starts mm-hmm. filling up with the rainwater and the mm-hmm. Oh okay.
1: So all the work at this at the at the central shaft stops for almost a year. Finally the crews get the pumps working again and they descend down back to the bottom of the shaft and they find the missing bodies that they that didn't surface. The workers had actually had enough time to construct a makeshift raft and they speculated that they most likely suffocated because there was no wow. oxygen at that part of the shaft. Interestingly enough, I did find a report about a bunch of strange happenings during the time that the central shaft was closed.
0: Oh, do tell.
1: It was from the local paper that North Adams transcript, and it said, quote, during the time the miners were missing, villagers told strange tales of vague shapes and muffled whales near the water-filled pit. Workmen claimed to see the lost miners carrying picks and shovels through a shroud of mist and snow at the top of the mountain. A ghostly apparition would appear briefly, then vanish, leaving no footprints in the snow, giving no answer to the miners' call. But as soon as the raft-bound miners were found and given a, quote, decent burial, the visitations ceased.
0: Huh.
1: Right? Isn't that unusual? That's very strange. So it's like as soon as they, they pulled up the, their bodies, they no longer saw these apparitions haunting the mountain top around the central shaft. So while those apparitions no longer appeared in the Huzig Tunnel... I did come across a bunch of other reports of weird things that people have seen in the tunnel. So before it was completed in 1872, Dr. Clifford J. Owens visited the tunnel with the drilling operation superintendent. While the two men were walking through the tunnel on the night of June 25th, they heard a, quote, strange, mournful sound as if someone or something was suffering a great pain. Uh Then they see a dim light that appeared from the western direction of the tunnel. They assume it's a worker, so they continue walking west in the tunnel. Then, according to Dr. Clifford, quote, as the light grew closer, it took on a strange blue color and appeared to change shape almost into the form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating along about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped and a cold, icy chill ran up and down my spine. The headless form came so close I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too terrified to move. The blue light remained motionless for a few seconds, as if it were actually looking us over, then floated off towards the east end of the shaft and vanished into thin air. Hmm. Creepy, right?
0: It kinda reminds me of um it's called the Hooker Man. It's this urban legend in New Jersey where this guy was working on like this like railroad tunnel mm-hmm. and like he like got hit by a train. Ooh. But he's, like, looking for, like, his arm got, like, torn off or something like that. And he's, like, looking for his arm. Um, and you see, like, him as, like, a light, like, in the tunnel. Like, he, like, approaches, like, with, like, I guess, like, a, an oil lamp type of deal, hmm. I think.
1: An armless, lighted apparition. Yeah. That's creepy. <sighs> <sighs> anyway, more terror at Housik Tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> in 1874, a local hunter disappeared in the area of the tunnel. After three days of searching, they finally found him wandering disoriented along the banks of the river without his rifle or equipment. According to the hunter, he had heard strange voices coming from the Husik Tunnel, so he went to investigate and heard the voices urge him to enter the tunnel. Once inside, he saw ghostly figures moving in the shadows, then suddenly something grabbed his rifle from his hands and nope. cracked him over
0: the head with it. Nope. <laughs> nope.
1: Uh, he didn't remember leaving the tunnel, and they never found his rifle. So now these ghosts are floaty and armed.
0: Floaty and armed. Mm -hmm. In
1: 1875, the Hoosick Tunnel was finally completed and officially opened to rail traffic. When it opened, it was the second longest tunnel in the world and Uh remained the longest tunnel in North America until 1916. Though the work on the tunnel was finished, the strange tales continued. Um, I found a couple stories about the tunnel in the 20th century They were all primarily from rail maintenance workers, so the Mm -hmm. guys who would have to, like, go into the tunnel to clear it of, like, ice, because it's still New England in the wintertime.
0: Which we all know is horrible.
1: Yep, horrible and icy. And they would also take any kind of debris that might have blown into the tunnels, or, like, trees, anything that might be preventing the trains from getting through. Several of them had stories about hearing disembodied voices shouting warning at them to, like, look out or run. When a train, off scheduled train, was coming through the tunnel. So one story that was really interesting. Is this guy named Joe, and he was working one day in the tunnel, and he was taking ice off the tracks, and all of a sudden he heard a voice in the tunnel scream, "Run, Joe, run!" And he turns and like steps away from the tracks. Just then, a freight train comes by. Oh shit! And after the train passes, he goes and like looks down the tunnel for whoever is like. He didn't think anybody else was working the tunnel that day. He didn't see anybody. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of stories like that have been reported at the tunnel. So it doesn't seem like all the spirits are necessarily, like, malicious and going to beat you over the head with your own stuff. Rifle, yeah. <laughs> or um, choke you to death. Yeah, or choke you to death because they're pissed that you uh, triggered that nitro too soon. Exactly. Um, since the 1970s... People want to talk about
0: being triggered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> since the 1970s, parapsychologists and ghost hunters have explored the Huzik Tunnel. Some have reported seeing floating white lights, or blue lights, or even shadowy figures. A few have even heard voices, and those voices have been captured on tape recorders that have been left in the tunnel overnight. Huh. Uh, almost all of the visitors have also reported the, a, a feeling of extreme eeriness and foreboding when walking through the tunnel. I think, actually, I want to say Ghost Hunters, one of their first episodes, was in North Adams. They visited another haunted location in North Adams, a mansion, but they also stopped by the Bloody Pit the music Tunnel, to do a little bit of exploration. Um, Now a warning.
0: Now a warning. Now a warning.
1: (laughs) Now a warning. Do not, I repeat, do not explore or enter the tunnel. It is still heavily used by freight trains
0: on a daily basis,
1: so it's extremely dangerous to explore.
0: That's, again, like the hooker man thing, because that is also an active, like, railway,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and people still go walking in there. You'll actually get arrested. Yeah. If you try to do it.
1: Don't do it. Don't do it. Good news, though, if you do want to know more about the tunnel, there is a lovely museum in nearby Western Gateway Heritage State Park called the Husick Tunnel Museum, where you can learn all about the construction, the history, and some of its haunted history, too.
0: That's pretty cool. I'd yeah. like to go there.
1: So that's my story about the Bloody Pit, a.k.a. the Husick Tunnel.
0: And, I mean, I'm never, ever actually going into this <laughs> Bloody Pit.
1: I mean... I kind of feel like it's a tunnel that, okay, tunnels are already, like, through mountains are already creepy. Yes. Like, I hate when I have to drive through a tunnel on, my I like, hate when road. I have to go into
0: New York and go in, like, because, you know, you're going in through a tunnel, mm-hmm. and you're like, um, I'm underwater right now. Oh,
1: those are the worst, because I always have, like, terrifying, like, visions of, like, it
0: cracking. Cracking, crack like, yep, yes. Me flooding. too.
1: But also the same thing, like, when you go over to Pittsburgh, you have to, like, drive through a tunnel mm-hmm. to get into Pittsburgh. Yeah. Or just, like, all kinds of tunnels through that you have to drive through mountains. And I just, they always make me nervous. And I can't imagine wanting to walk through a train tunnel either. No. It's, like, super dark. And I think that alone would freak me out. And then also that terror of, like... Am I going to get
0: fucking hit by a train? Yes. Yeah.
1: And, like, you might hear strange sounds, but it's also like you're walking in a tunnel and it could be windy.
0: When I was in Virginia Beach when I was younger... There was this girl who I was actually engaged to for a little bit, mm. and um, we were like walking to the mall, and her shortcut to the mall was to walk along the train tracks.
1: <laughs> it's never a good shortcut.
0: And then, of course, it was like we hear the you know the train. The we hear the train, train of coming. Train <laughs> And she's just like, okay, well, into the woods, because it was all, like, woodsy by it, so we just, like, <laughs> went into the woods, but we were still really close to the damn train when it was coming, and you could feel the breeze from the mm-hmm. train and see it rush past. It was kind of scary, I'm yeah. not gonna lie.
1: Yeah, they're very, um, especially when a train's going fast, it's, like, pretty intense.
0: Although scarier still was having to cross then Virginia Beach Boulevard, <laughs> which is, like, eight freaking lanes of traffic, and it is awful.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like nowadays... It's just worth it to call the Uber.
0: Yeah. Well, there wasn't Uber back then. I know.
1: We're so blessed. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Uh, So the sources for my tale today, I actually found a lot of interesting local sources too, which is neat. That's nice. Um, I started off on CNN.com. And of course, the old standby is Encyclopedia Britannica, Mm and Wikipedia, HoosickTunnel.net, which is a whole website devoted to the tunnel's construction and its ghostly reputation. I use the Berkshire Eagle, which is the local paper in the Berkshires, um, museumhack.com, onlyinyourstate.com, and of course the New England Historical Society website. Nice.
0: Only in your state, I don't know if we talked about this last week, I think but we did. yeah, only in your state is like a really good one too for yeah, resources. It, it always,
1: well, it's funny because I feel like for me, it's always hit or miss. It's either like a really good resource or it's just completely weird and wacky. And yeah. I'm like, I don't need to know the top 10 like snacks in my state. Thank that's you very much.
0: That's true. There was one time when I'm like, I was already told this information by another website. Can't you have your own original thoughts? Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: feel like that's also the website too, where it's like, you know, you're from such and such if. if yeah. yeah. Anyway,
0: so. That was pretty cool. Um,
1: I hope you have shafty dreams tonight. Oh,
0: God. I'm very moist.
1: Very moist shafty dreams. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had
0: fun. Because I definitely do remember hearing about that somewhere in my research when I was looking at Massachusetts stuff. And I was like, ooh, bloody pit. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Well, I guess that brings us to our, our the end of our first stop in Massachusetts.
0: I guess it does. This has been a fun state so far.
1: I like Massachusetts. I do,
0: too. I would like to go back sometime.
1: Yeah. If you liked our podcast today, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Roadside Horror Show.
0: Or on Twitter at Roadside Horror. Uh, You can also go to our website at roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. And email us with any comments, questions, concerns, stories you want us to cover, your own personal stories, or just to say hi or feedback or anything at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com.
1: Uh, we'd like to thank Yox Rocks Design for our, our wonderful logo and E. Massey for our delightful theme music. And I
0: think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. I think we say, and I think that's it each time. <laughs> we do, we do. We look at each <laughs> other and we're
1: like, do we have anything else? Like, to is there more?
0: Sometimes I forget we have to plug stuff at all. Um... Yeah, we should really be professional. Nah, nah, screw nah. that.
1: All right, roadsters. Until next week.
0: Creep on, creeping on. on.